I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, we are so grateful, God, for who you are. Lord, we do praise your glorious name this morning, and, and we thank you for all of your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have granted to us in Christ Jesus, your Son. We thank you, Lord, that in him we have forgiveness of our sins. Lord, that he has redeemed us and bought us back, that he has paid the price in full, that, Lord, we are now free, free from the bondage of our sins, delivered from the dominion of darkness and of Satan. God, we do thank you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your righteousness and your holiness. Oh, Lord, we see how beautiful and how perfect you are. And, God, we so desperately want to be like you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your holy word, which reveals to us, God, who you are and what you are like. And, and God, we pray that you would impress your word upon our hearts, God. Oh, Lord, feed our souls and strengthen our faith and Cause us to clearly see your word, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart and give us understanding, Lord, of, of who you are and who we are and what we face, Lord, as your children. And Father, we thank you so much for all of your goodness to us. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the sanctification process. We thank you, Lord, for our sufferings, our sorrows. We thank you, Lord, for our joys. We thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. We pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to be a people of grace and love and kindness, to be a people of holiness and righteousness, God. We pray that you would help us this morning, Lord, to see you a little more clearly, to know you a little better, God. We thank you for your love to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so we're back in our study of Ephesians. This morning I'm going to read to get us the context of our lesson. We're going to be looking at verses, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. And following, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, all of chapter 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them, and give up threatening, 
knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view... Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Amen? Okay. Wow, that's a powerful chapter of Scripture. Would you agree? So, um, just in brief review, the last five weeks, actually, we've been been talking about Christian parenting. And uh, we've been looking at uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through uh, chapter 6, verse 4. And uh, discussing there, really, the duties and responsibilities of parents as well as the duties of children, Christian children. And so um, <clears throat> uh, with that, we've, we've had uh, quite a comprehensive look at uh, what the Scripture is really saying there. And I wanted to exhort you that as you read through these Scriptures, to maybe slow down and consider and ponder and contemplate the things that are really being said. And I had pointed out that, for instance, in verse 4, the phrase that says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, really implies something that is, is really vast. There really is a lot that is being said there by the Apostle. He's, he says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and I had said that, you know, in, in Paul's mind, he has in view something very specific. He's not just suggesting that you should be a good Christian parent and fulfill your good Christian responsibility. But he really is pointing to what those responsibilities are. That it is to bring those kids up, for one. And for two, it is to bring them up specifically in the discipline of the Lord. 
and specifically in the instruction of the Lord. And I was telling you that how in the Jewish mind, those things had very specific connotations. And I had pointed you to the Shema, which is the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And uh, talking about the fact that uh, the instruction of the Lord meant something very specific to the apostle and to the Jews of that day. And, and then we were just talking about the whole idea that the, the Christian faith, because it is didactic in nature, it is, a, it is a faith where we are constantly learning and teaching and growing in the knowledge of God and in the unity of the faith. And, and we're learning uh, constantly and continually about who God is and what He is like and what are His purposes in the world and who we are and how we fit into His plan and what He's accomplishing in His kingdom. And there's, there's so much to learn. And the more you learn in the Bible, the more there is that you learn that you don't really know. And the, the more that you realize that there is to learn, and it's a, it's a very didactic faith. It's something where we're constantly and ever continually learning and growing in that knowledge and in that understanding. In fact, Christian life is described as knowing God. In John, he writes and he says, this is eternal life, to know the one true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ. And the whole idea of, of Christian life is coming to know God intimately and having that intimate, personal relationship with God, which, which for us is an ever-continuing learning process because we're finite beings. And God is an infinite being. And so we're learning these great mysteries of who God is and what He is like and what all of His purposes are. And uh, this relationship that we have with God is a relationship of knowledge. Just like the relationships that we have in our marriage, in our family, in our, in our workplace. <clears throat> we come to know people. How do we know people? Well, we know things about them. We know who they are. We know what they're like. We know how they act. We, we experience uh, emotional uh, interactions with one another. And, and these relationships are at all these different levels of knowledge. Their relationships are based on knowledge. Okay, And so this, this nature of the Christian faith is didactic. We're growing in this knowledge of God. And, and so with that, that makes the very nature of Christian parenting didactic. Why? Because the ultimate goal in Christian parenting is the salvation of our kids. If we can impart anything to them, we would give to them the most valuable thing that we have. What is that? That is Christ himself. God, very God. Amen? So uh, this, is the whole, this becomes the whole goal and aim in being a Christian parent. It is to raise those kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So <clears throat> with that, Paul's going to move on. And uh, this little section that we're looking at really is the last of a very large section of Scripture. Um, he he kind of, uh, in chapter 5, he's going through a whole discussion about practical Christian living. He gets to uh, verse 18 and he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes into this discussion about what the Spirit-filled life looks like. 
And he says, you know, uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, and to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so he's talking about the spirit-filled life and what it looks like. And he's suggesting that we be always be continually being filled with the Spirit. And that if we're so doing that, then we're going to fulfill these practices to which he's describing to us what they look like. And so he goes into the whole matter of Christian relationships. And he says in verse 21 that we should be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then he goes through and he describes what being subject to one another looks like. And he says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke. Right? And today in chapter 6, verse 5, we come to the statement where he says, Slaves. Slaves or servants. It's even translated in some, some translations. Um, and then in verse 9, again, he's going to say, Masters. And so now he's kind of switching from those family relationships of, hus- of wife, husband, children fathers, right? And he's going to switch to our vocational relationships. He's going to talk about slaves and masters. And uh, and then when he gets to verse 9, really that kind of closes this section. So I wanted to just kind of enlighten to the fact that, remember that Paul is still in this section where he's describing the spirit-filled life. And even more perfectly, he's describing what it looks like to Uh, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And he's giving this little list of relationships and talking about what those relationships should look like. And so then when he gets to chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 10, he's going to go into this whole discussion about spiritual warfare. He's going to give us an analogy of what the Christian life looks like uh, using the idea or the concept of warfare. And uh, you don't have to be a Christian long before you realize that you're in the heat of a battle. Amen? As a matter of fact, I think you experience that the first day you're born again. (laughs) Right? As a matter of fact, it was a great struggle in battle the day you were born again. And the circumstances that the Lord used to bring you to himself were in some cases very tumultuous. Right? In other cases, you might have been a a good Christian kid in a good Christian home and there wasn't really a whole lot of tossing and churning of the waves. You just one day came to realize that you were in love with Christ and and that by the Holy Spirit. And uh, it may not have been so tumultuous. But you don't have to grow up very long and very old before you realize that this is a dark world. And there are dark forces of wickedness at work. And there is a great struggle. There is a great wrestling. There is a great battle that's taking place in the day-to-day of life. Amen? Amen. And so, Paul, he's going to give us a comprehensive discussion of that. And uh, it's it's a very enlightening passage. Uh, Today, so, we're going to look at, starting at chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. And there it says, Slaves, Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, 
but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And so here Paul is addressing slaves. He's addressing slaves. Now, slavery was something that was prevalent uh, in the first century in most of the world. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Paul doesn't speak about slavery as a concept here. Instead, he addresses those uh, Christian relationships that we have in the midst of the idea of slavery. Right? He doesn't speak about slavery, its pros and cons, slavery, its uh, values and uh, shortcomings, but he speaks about our practical responsibility as Christians if we are slaves. And then, of course, he goes on into a discussion about masters. But that's something uh, that's interesting to note. And remember, I was telling you, when you read the scripture, stop for a minute. And contemplate what's being said. It's a it's an amazing thing. The way, especially the way the Apostle Paul writes, he he will make these little short phrases, and with each phrase, it seems like there's just an ocean of truth that he's discussing. You know, for instance, here he says, "Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh." Comma, right? Then he says, "With fear and trembling." Comma. Right? Of course, the commas are the English rendering of the exclamations that are there. But, but uh, then he says, in the sincerity of your heart. And it's like with each one of those little phrases, you can stop and consider, wow, what a profound truth. What a profound spiritual insight from Paul. What's he really saying here? You know, we shouldn't just read right by this as if there's nothing there. This is a very insightful set of of words from God that address our daily lives and how we live as Christians. So, Paul now turns his attention to slaves or servants. This is again a continuation of the thought begun in chapter 5, verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Here the slave is to be subject to their masters by responding in obedience to them. Okay? So, the Lord clearly says, Slaves, be obedient. Obey your masters. Do what they tell you to do. Right? This is part of being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Because, you see, if you're a slave, you're a slave by the providence of God. And if you're a slave, you have an authority that's been established over you. Right? Now, who established that authority over you? God. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that no authority has been established except that which has been established by God, right? Romans 13, 1. That if we're at that place in life, which we are a slave, then we find ourselves under a master. And what does the master do? Well, basically he's barking out commands all day long for us to go and to fulfill, right? So what does practical Christian living look like for the slave? Here's the answer. Obedience. Obedience and and being subject to that authority which is uh, put above us by God. Amen? 
uh, you can see a really good example of this being lived out in the life of Joseph. You might be familiar with the life of Joseph. He's in the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. And um, you see that Joseph uh, wound up in a couple of different situations where he really was uh, in a role of slavery or servanthood, right? And, and how uh, Joseph exercised a very godly character in the midst of his God-ordained circumstances. You might also remember the overarching theme of the life of Joseph is the sovereignty of God, right? And how uh, these terrible things happen to Joseph. And at the end of the, the book of Genesis there, he says to his brothers, you know, you meant it for evil, but what? God meant it for good. See, God was mindful of everything I went through. God was mindful when they threw me in the pit. God was mindful when they sold me to the caravan. God was mindful when Potiphar bought me and brought me into his house. Right? God was mindful when I was uh, falsely accused of of, uh, pursuing Potiphar's wife and thrown in prison. Right? God was mindful of all of my suffering. But you know what? God had an ordained purpose for my life. And all things work together for my good and for God's glory in the end. Amen? But in the midst of that, you see where Joseph was a very obedient slave. He was very respectful to the authorities that were set above him. So much so... That every time he got underneath an authority, that authority said, wow, there's something special about this guy. And what did they do with Joseph every time he got under their, under their rule? Right, they elevated him, right? What's it say in the New Testament? What does Peter say? He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might what? Lift you up in due time, right? What did the Lord Jesus say about that humility? What did he say? He said, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Okay? And so you see how this becomes very practical in our daily life. Most of us work for employers. Most of us are servants. We have these vocational relationships where there's authorities that have been established above us. Right? And many times they're the same kind of authorities that Joseph might have had above him. But, you know, we can see the example and the character of godliness in, in his life. And, and here we have the crystal clear revelation of the apostle teaching by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of what that should look like. And so, again, righteousness for the Christian servant, the Christian slave, the Christian employee looks like this. Obedience and submission to authority. Amen? And we've talked about that at at some length. But here he says, Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Your masters according to the flesh is to say your earthly masters, not your heavenly one. Because if we were to say your master according to the spirit, who would we be referring to? The Lord Jesus, right? He's our master, right? He's our king. He's our God. Amen? So... When, when Paul refers to masters according to the flesh, 
This is what he's simply saying. He's saying, I'm talking about your earthly master, not your heavenly master. So that you don't get confused, he says, you slaves ought to be obedient to your earthly masters, whoever they are, whoever's been set in authority above you. And this, he says, further, is to be done with fear and trembling. He says, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. The general idea of what Paul is saying is, with great respect. With honor in your heart toward your earthly master. With respect for your master according to the flesh. Right? Mm -hmm. This is for the benefit of the slaves. Right? I mean, consider how Joseph was treated. You can imagine what some of those places might have, might have been like. Probably wasn't too bad in Potiphar's house, right? But when you get thrown in an Egyptian prison, well, that's liable to be something quite a bit different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard? Until he met up with his wife, that's for sure. What's that? Until he met up with his wife. Yeah, it was pretty good until uh, the enemy came with deceitful scheming, Right? When a spiritual force of wickedness began to assault his life and his standing before God. Amen? Okay. So then, this is for the benefit of the slaves. Does their masters have authority over them to punish them? Uh, that they would not want to incur their discipline. Right? So listen, if, if Paul's just giving them some practical wisdom, he says, look, if you do what they say, it's going to go well with you. Versus, you know, if you're a stubborn, disobedient, rebellious slave, it's probably not going to go well with you, right? I mean, this is just a general exhortation to wisdom, which is to say that they should obey their masters. They should obey that authority. Uh, he says with fear and trembling. Obviously, the, the idea of fear translated in the NAS has to do with subjection to authority. It has to do with sub- submission, with reverence, and with honor. Okay, like he says in, in 521, he says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Right? He's saying in the reverence of Christ. With respect toward Christ. Okay? And so here also, be obedient to your masters with respect toward them. And I think the idea of trembling carries the concept of, look, it's going to go well with you if you obey your masters. <clears throat> Be afraid, because your master has the power to harm you. And in most cases, they did in that day. As a matter of fact, if they didn't like a slave, they could even put him to death in some cultures. Right? Okay. So, righteousness for the slave or servant looks like obedience, submission, and reverence for authority. Surely this instruction in modern terms would speak directly to employer-employee relations. Okay? So how do we apply that to our life today? Well, just like this. That righteousness for us Christian employees looks like this. Obedience, submission, and reverence for authority. Amen? Amen. Anybody want to comment on that? Rick? I think the bottom line is to be honoring our Lord. We don't want to be 
we don't want to have a bad reputation and people say, well, this guy says he's a Christian, but he acts like that. Amen. We want to be above reproach so that people say, well, there is something different about this. Amen. And, of course, these next verses, right, Paul's going to kind of lay that right out. He's going to say, he's asking this question very loudly. What about the honor of God? Amen. Now, when people see the way that we subject ourselves to authority, the way that we diligently obey directives that are given to us, when they see the reverence of our lives and our chaste and respectful behavior, what do they do? They honor God. We let our light so shine, right, that men will see our deeds and do what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. Well, they know when they're pushing you to the limit. They know when they're doing things that are wrong. <clears throat> and if if you're not standing up to them, if you're obeying, if you're being obedient, if you're doing the, the honorable thing, mm-hmm. they're going to eventually come around just like Potiphar, just like the king. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, I think that that Christian humility has a tremendous power, an endearing power to that master. You know? I have a question. Yeah. I can see in most every situation how that is proper and it works in the biblically. Um, like in a place like Iraq, uh-huh. um, where you have you know someone who is just completely uh, evil over the people. I mean, I understand that they still have to submit to the authority, but how do you approach um, resisting or trying to change? something like that that's evil from the perspective of uh, submitting to authority. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, trying to change, uh, I, I don't know that it's really our responsibility as a slave <coughs> to try and, and change what is evil, but, but as far as applying that to our Christian life, right, we are submissive to their authority to what extent? To the extent that their directives do not cause us to sin against God. Right. So, so we are to submit and obey their directives in as much as those directives do not cause us to sin against God. So I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question. But sometimes they're... How do you displace them? If they're placed there by God, then what's the justification for displacing them? You don't displace them. Right? God displaces them. So I'm not sure exactly what you mean. I'm sorry. Maybe you should tell me what context you mean. Like you're talking about Iraq. Are you talking about? Are you talking about the concept of this democratic government going over there and seeking to dethrone a ruler, that kind of thing? Well, I, in a sense, yeah. And the people oh, okay. there standing up for the right to displace this evil. I mean, I think that that's right, but I can't really jive it with what you're saying as far as respecting the authority that's got place. Do you know what I'm saying? That they're the it's not just us in this case, Saddam Hussein. Let's say that you are in the house of Saddam Hussein and you are one of his servants. Okay? And you're a Christian. How should you behave? You should obey him 
and submit to his authority with reverence. And in so much as his directives do not cause you to sin against God, you should obey him and respect him and uh, submit to his authority. So <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm... Soldier knocks on the door and you let him in? I mean, that's... I, I just, it, it's just, I, I'm, we don't need to get into this, and I'm sorry. I just, if there was a clear answer, that's fine, but... Yeah. Maybe just not a clear answer. Okay. So, again, I'm trying to stick very closely to the text of Scripture here, and, I mean, we could, we could probably talk about a lot of different issues there. But how would this apply to our Christian life? Well, look at 1 Peter 2.18. There, Peter says, Servants, he says, Be submissive to your masters with all respect... Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. But also to those who are unreasonable. Right? And you're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 2. That's that section where he begins to go and talk about the sufferings of Christ. And he says, to this we've been called. Right? That if a man bears up under unjust punishment, that this is commendable in the sight of God. And that we should do such a thing like Christ Jesus, who who even though he was uh, reviled, he did not revile in return. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And, and in his unjust uh, servanthood, that servant in 1 Peter 2 should with all respect uh, be submissive to his master, even if he's unreasonable. And he should entrust himself to God who judges justly, right? Because God will judge. God will reward. God will care for you. You live under the providence of God. You belong to God. You're his servant first, right? And so the idea is even when your servants are unreasonable, even when they're harsh, the Christian is to be submissive, to be respectful, to show honor. And in so doing, they honor God. And they recognize further that God is, in fact, the one who is governing their life by his sovereignty, by his providence. Amen? And I I realize that's real easy for me to say because I'm not a slave working under a very unreasonable master. But... It, it nevertheless holds true that this is the commandment right out of the scripture, right? That even when the master is unreasonable, when he's harsh, the Christian is to submit with proper respect and obey his directives. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad that the scripture is so clear? Amen. It's not cloudy. God's will is very clearly defined for us. Amen? We don't have to go searching on every high hill to find it, but it's right here for those who seek it. Amen? Amen. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and you shall receive. Terry? Uh, One big difference between that time and this time, things get bad enough in our employment situation, we can quit and find another job. Mm -hmm. Right. Amen. You have this whole thing about, you know, the authority structure that you live under. And, you know, a a certain authority structure of of government may provide for certain freedoms that others don't. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it just so happens that we live in a culture where we have all kinds of freedoms, like Terry is, is saying, you know. I mean, in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2006, if you don't like your job, right, you, you basically have the freedom to quit your job and go down the street and work for somebody else, right? Uh, and that may be very different from other peoples in the world. I mean, it, you may be in a situation where the only provision for your family is some terrible uh, slavery. Amen? And uh, so it's, it's interesting to consider, you know, all of the different types of circumstances that one may, may find themselves in. Um, but I'd say that uh, the freedoms that we have in American society are are many, <laughs> are they not? We should be thankful for such freedoms. Amen. Okay, but look what he says. He says with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now just read that slowly and look at look at look at all of the divine truths that are being laid out by the apostle one after the other. The first one, in the sincerity of your heart. Stop right there and think. What is he saying to us? Right? He's saying do what you do with sincerity. Do what you do from the heart. Mean it inside your heart when you do it. Amen? And look what, look at the next one. He says, as to Christ. Think about that. That's the only way you can do it, as to Christ. Because that's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, to be beaten maybe and punished and everything and be sincere mm-hmm. in your obedience mm-hmm. unless you're doing it for Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. Certainly in that difficult situation, <laughs> it's very much that way, right? But of course, in, in, in America, with all the freedoms that we have, mm-hmm. it's rather easy to do it in other ways, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you want to be obedient to God, surely that's the only way you can do it, mm-hmm. Right? Or you can do it the disobedient way. What would that look like? Well, it would look like by way of eye service, as a man pleaser, mm-hmm. right? As a slave of what? Sin and of yourself, seeking your own welfare and not the honor of God. Amen? So, <clears throat> but the Christian really doesn't have much choice, do they? Because we do live for a heavenly master, don't we? And so our service should be done in the sincerity of our hearts, as to Christ, as if we were serving the Lord himself. Amen? Here Paul points to the genuine heart of the Christian servant. He's looking at the heart. He's talking about what's inside. Amen? He commands that their obedience come from the heart sincerely as to Christ. This shows God's high and holy standard for reverence to authority. Right? Think about what the apostle's saying. Why should we be submissive to our masters and obedient? So that we honor God. To what extent should we be obedient and submissive to them? As to Christ. 
just like we would to the Lord. Amen? In so much, again, as their directives don't cause us to sin against God. Amen? That's always a, a major principle in the idea of submission to authority. Right? It's like, it's like the uh, apostles. They get dragged off the street in Jerusalem by the Sanhedrin, and they set them down, and they beat them up, and they tell them, Look, don't you go out and preach that Jesus anymore. Right? What does Peter say? Right. He says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen? So then when that authority begins to, 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 to cause us to disobey God, that's when we begin to step outside of the bounds of that authority. Amen? And it may cost you your life. Right? Because many times the authorities have the power to take your life. But even that will be by divine appointment. Amen? To emphasize this, that is God's high and holy standard for reverence to authority, Paul brings into perspective the fact that in our service we serve God first and men second. And that's what he means when he says, as to Christ. Right? And look what he says. He says, not by way of eye service as men pleasers. Right? Um, I got a couple of little notes out of the MacArthur Study Bible that were really good on this. He says, eye service. He says, working well only when being watched by the boss. Right? That's a good explanation of what Paul means by eye service. Right? Every time the boss comes by, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm beating on my keyboard. I'm, I'm working, right? Or, or uh, you know, maybe you dig ditches for a living, you know. And, and the boss comes by here. <laughs> the boss gets around the corner and you're leaning on your shovel. <laughs> right? Not so the Christian. Amen? Not so God's holy people, right? We're diligent. We're diligent to carry out our work, whatever it may be, as to Christ, not as to men. Not only when the boss's eye is on us, but even when the boss ain't around. Amen? We're a faithful servant under that boss. Amen? He also said, men pleasers. He said, Seeking only that honor which comes from men. Right? And I ask the question, what about the honor of God? What about the honor of God? What gospel do you preach with your work? Amen? Which Lord and King do you show by the deeds of your hands? Amen? God help us. You know, our lives are living letters read by everyone around us. Are they not? Hopefully, we glorify God with our deeds. Therefore, we should see our obedience to our employers as God's will and desire to fulfill it with a sincere heart. Amen? Amen. So, you know, look. You got a difficult boss? Hey, what does righteousness look like for you? Here's what it looks like. 
reverent submission to his authority, obeying his directives, and, and quite frankly, make your life look just like Joseph. That he thinks, man, that employee of mine, he's a model employee. She's a model employee. Amen? I wish I could clone him. Surely if the Lord Jesus were in your place, that's what the boss would be saying about him. Either that or he'd want to nail him to a cross. (laughs) One or the other. Right? You with me? Okay. God help us. Colossians 3, 21. Sorry, 22 says, Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Amen? I don't know if you know how closely related Ephesians and Colossians are. They're they're very closely related, not only in the very directives that they give, but in the whole structure of the book. Remember how Ephesians... The first three chapters are uh, talk about positional realities, and then the last three chapters talk about practical realities. The first three chapters are all doctrine. The last three chapters are all practice, right? Remember how in the first three chapters of Ephesians, there's not one single command? And then as soon as he gets to chapter 4, verse 1, there's one command after another, right to the end of the book, Right? First three chapters, position. Last three chapters, practice. Colossians is very much like that. First two chapters, doctrine. First two chapters, positional realities. What do we have in Christ? What has Christ done? What is the cross for? Who is Christ? You know, what is the, uh, the realm of his dominion? So on and so forth. Very much like Ephesians. But the last two chapters, very practical. One command after another, right? And so you see these very close parallels uh, between... Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, and Colossians 3, verse 22. Amen? Okay. Am I the only one that sees that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. He says then, With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Now, he introduces this concept in here of the judgment of God. Right? He introduces this concept. Look, if we're going to obey our, our masters in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not as men pleasers, but as God pleasers, right? Then God is watching. Amen? And God is providential in this matter of slavery or servanthood or employee relations. Amen? And so he says, look, he says, with goodwill, render service. He says, in other words, be a good servant who's going to benefit that employer from the goodness that is in your heart by the Holy Spirit. In other words, work hard and do a good job. That's what he's saying. Work hard and do a good job. That's what a Christian ought to do. Amen? The Christian servant or slave should remember that he lives by a higher rule and that of not than that of his earthly masters. And this is the service of his heavenly master, Christ. We should always be thinking 
that we're working for the Lord, that we're working for Christ. We don't want to get our eyes off of Christ and on to men. Amen? We want to live a God-centered life. And so look, if you're struggling with your job, if it's difficult, if you got a difficult boss, look, put the Word of God always as frontless before your eyes. And every day you go in and you face that difficulty, think, I'm working for the Lord Jesus Christ here. And I'm serving this employee, and I'm going to do a, this employer. I'm going to do a good, diligent, hard-working job because I want to glorify the Lord Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Master. He'll give me a cup to drink, and I'll drink it in. Amen? And, uh, you know, look, we, every, we get our eyes on men. Listen, we get confused. We get discouraged. We get trodden down. Right? You get your eyes on Christ. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Amen? And the Lord will encourage you. The Lord will be your helper. He'll be your strength. He'll be your hope. He'll be your shield. He'll be your refuge. That's who He is, right? How much more for you in your difficult job situation? Amen? It may not be easy, but the Lord will walk with you. And He will strengthen you. And that's His promise for you. Amen? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For Thou art with me. Amen? Okay. The servant should remember that their life is governed by divine providence and that their lot in life is governed by God. Amen? Who are you working for, Christian? For Christ. And remember, you know, it's not just for employee relations. You know, this this principle really goes for any relation that we have, doesn't it? What you know? What if you're a domestic engineer? How many knows what a domestic engineer is? Got a lot of domestic engineers in here. That's got to be that's got to be one of the most difficult jobs there is. Surely, if you're going to fulfill it like a good Christian, that's one of the most difficult jobs there is. Discipling kids, teaching sinners to be good Christian people—that's a difficult job. Amen. And and so the same thing applies. Who who are you serving for here, Mom? Who are you working so hard for? Amen? The principle applies universally. But listen, we shouldn't forget that our life is governed by divine providence. And that the cup we have to drink has been given to us by the Lord. Now hopefully our foolish choices didn't get us in a difficult situation where the Lord had to sour the water a little bit so we'll... Learn to make more wise choices in the future. Right? <laughs> but sometimes the, the only way to learn a lesson is through difficulty. You know, there are some virtues that the Christian has to learn, and the only way to learn them is through suffering. Let me tell you about one. It's called patient endurance. Patient endurance is a Christian virtue. But I'd, I'd like to know how you'll possibly learn that without something to patiently endure. Amen? Wow. And uh, 
I would also suggest that that is something that is a constant ongoing lesson that we're all learning as Christians. Patient endurance. Why? Because it is part of the divine character and you're being conformed into his image. Amen? My, think how the Lord has had to patiently endure with me. Amen? So I should learn to patiently endure with others. Amen? It's a good fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Suffering without complaint, but with thanksgiving instead. Amen? Amen. (coughs) Okay. So, he says then, that with good will they should render service as to the Lord and not to men. Right? As to the Lord and not to men. This is to say that they remember that they serve God first and men second. They serve God first and men second. When we work, we work as to the Lord, not as to men. Whatever you're working at, you're working for the Lord. Amen? Why? Because that's what your life is for. That's why you were made. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why does the creation exist? For the purposes of God. Why? Because God made it that way. He's the one who made it, and He made it for His purpose. And that goes even for you and me. Amen? Amen? God made us. Our life belongs to Him. Amen? And so whatever we do, we do it what? As to the Lord and not to men. Amen? God help us to remember that. Okay. Further, that the good hand of providence will be in the last, the hand which renders reward to them. Think about this. God is watching. What's Paul say here? He says, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether you're a slave or a free man, you're working for God, he says, and God is going to render to each one according to his goodwill, according to his good purpose. And whatever goodwill and good service that you render, Paul says you're going to receive it back from the Lord. Why? Because let me tell you, God won't be mocked. Mm -hmm. And if you do a good job for the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to honor you with blessings you can hardly imagine. I'm not talking about Cadillacs and big white houses on hills. (laughs) Right? Instead, I'm talking about something that Paul might refer to in Colossians 3, where he says... Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Somebody tell me what does Paul mean by that we will receive the reward of the inheritance. What's he talking about? I think about the beginning of Ephesians. The okay. inexhaustible riches of his glor- the glorious inheritance of the saints Amen. that are described there. Okay, and let's turn there. Just let's just take a look at that for a minute there. I think you're looking at verse 18, chapter 1. <coughs> what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
right? The glorious riches of the inheritance. What will the Lord Jesus render to us for our good service? Well, listen, the nature of God's blessings is that they are eternal, first and foremost. This, friends, is only a light and momentary affliction. Emphasis on momentary. Right? But the blessing that comes from God is eternal. It doesn't wear out. It's not like gold and silver and wood siding. It's not like perishable things. Right? It's like that thing which never, ever wears out. You see, the blessing that the Lord gives, we experience forever and ever and ever, world without end. And there are things that are invaluable, like peace. Sick and tired of a world of conflict? Man, I can't hardly live in my own house with my own wife and daughters without making somebody mad. (laughs) Why? Because that's the way I am by nature. I step on people's toes all the time. Right? And they do it to me, too. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. And things aren't perfect down here. It's a battle. It's a struggle. Amen? Right? You go to work and, you know... (laughs) You can't even park in your parking spot without getting somebody fired up. Right? You with me? If it's not that, it'll be something else, right? (laughs) But uh, what about peace the kingdom of God forever? How about never again any conflict? As long as the days of eternity continue on forever and ever and ever. What about the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit welling up inside the heart in the glorious kingdom of God before the throne of the Lamb with myriads and myriads of angels spread out before the glory of God? And we get to stand in that beautiful sight with a heart so fulfilled we can't even comprehend it. And those days will never end. And, you know, I just see this thing of, Turn to chapter 2, verse 7. there it says, So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Tell me, in the ages to come, what will it look like? For God to show us the surpassing riches of His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I I keep trying to explain this. (laughs) I, I just have this vision where... We're in heaven, and there's God, and we're like totally in awe, right? And, and it's like every moment is a new unfolding of some glorious, beautiful thing of God. And it's like we look over here, and whoa, and, and all the myriads of heaven look over there, and they go, whoa. And then God turns his head this way, and we look back, and Wow. And it's just one unending, unfolding, glorious, beautiful, overwhelming joy of fulfillment of seeing God Himself in heaven forever. (laughs) And my words aren't even scratching the surface of what the beauty of God must be like. 
Do you know what the simple promise that they will see God holds in store for us? I tell you, it is something far beyond your comprehension. Right? What does the scripture say? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, I can't quote it, so I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16, he says, We do not lose heart, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light of fiction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He says your sufferings aren't even worth comparing to the glory of God. It's an eternal weight of glory, he says. It never ends. It's ongoing forever. These little afflictions that we face in life, they're momentary. They're just but a moment. What is 80 years in the sight of eternity? Amen? Amen. That's why our moments in this short life are so precious. Because they are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Right? So, how do we get that down from heaven down into our daily life here? Let me tell you. Here's how. Those moments that you have serving that employer, or being that mom and working so hard with those crazy kids, or whatever it is that you're facing on a day-to-day basis, listen, you do that unto the Lord. And you remember that the Lord is going to reward you for your good service. And He is not going to be mocked. His reward will be far beyond anything you can possibly comprehend. Amen? God help us. God help us to do a good job. God help us to work diligently and be submissive, reverent, gracious people. Amen? Anybody want to comment or ask a question? Okay. Verse 9. He says, And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Okay? So now Paul's going to turn from talking about slaves. <coughs> what does that good, practical Christian living look like for a slave? Now he's going to say, What does that good, Christian, practical living look like for a master? Okay? Again, Paul turns his attention yet to yet another Christian, the Christian master. Here he says, do the same things to them. Okay? Referring to the aforementioned instructions to the slaves. Now remember what I was saying. Read these things slowly and stop and consider what's being said. What does he say? He says, do the same things to them. Stop. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about be a master to your slaves in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not as an, uh, by a way of eye service, not by, as a men pleaser, but as a, as a slave of Christ, as a master of Christ. He says, with goodwill, render service. You know, look, with goodwill, render your authority as a master. You know, be a kind, gracious, loving master if you're a master. Amen? Be a master just like the Lord Jesus. Be one who's not partial, but one who's impartial. 
and treats all men with equity and justice. Amen? The Christian master should likewise do his governing as to the Lord and not to men. Okay, again, he's serving. He's serving his master who is in heaven. Amen? He serves as a master unto the Lord and not unto men. Again, the master serves God first and men second. And that those masters should have goodwill and sincerity of heart in their relations with their subjects. Amen? Think how easy it is for a man to abuse his authority. Right? And to be harsh. Especially if you have a servant who is particularly much of a burr under your saddle. And how easy it is for you with simple access to your authority to make their life miserable. And oh, what a temptation might be there to do such a thing. Amen? Not so the Christian master. Not so. Maybe that servant needs a little extra help. Maybe he needs a little extra counsel. Maybe he needs a little extra care. Maybe he needs some loving kindness. Amen? Isn't it the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? Amen? That master should should have the same character as those slaves. He should have a good, godly, submissive, gracious character. Amen? God help us. This he makes clear when he states that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him so that even these Christian masters should have no partiality as well. You know, he points to Christ and he says, there's your example for being a master. There's your example for being a boss. There's your example for being an employer. That you have a sincere heart. That you don't show partiality to people. But that you diligently carry out those things as unto the Lord. Amen? Colossians 4 puts it like this. He says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Right? And again, he introduces this concept that, look, God is watching. God is watching. He is the Lord. He is our master. We serve him. Amen. Paul exhorts the masters that they should give up threatening and to treat their subjects with impartiality. This has long been the standard of God for ruling over servants. Masters are to treat servants with that good character which is consistent with God himself can look as far back as Leviticus 25:43 and there it says you shall not rule over your servant with severity but are to revere your god in other words what does reverence to god look like if you're the master of a slave it looks like not ruling over him with severity not being severe in your judgments in your directives right 
but instead being what? Being gentle. Being just. Being impartial. Right? God help us. How many of you would like to work for a boss like that? Amen? So the, uh, the Christian master also then is exhorted to have that same spirit-filled life as that slave and that father and that husband and that wife. Amen? And that he's to fulfill his responsibilities in Christian life as to the Lord. We serve God first and men second. Amen? Amen. And listen, the Lord is going to reward us for our good service. Amen? I was talking to a sister earlier before we started about the fact that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be judged for the deeds done in the body, says the scripture. Right? Not for our sins. Oh, no, not for our sins. Amen? Our sins were judged and paid for by the Lord Jesus on the cross. So what's the Lord going to judge us for? He's going to judge us for how well with goodwill we rendered service. He's going to judge us for our effective and productive witness as a minister of the gospel, which we all are. Amen? And he's going to give us a reward based on how well we served him. That concept is throughout the scripture and very clearly explained in the New Testament in several places. Amen? But consider that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, what do you suppose God will do? He will lift you up. He will exalt you in good time. Shaylin? So that's a good application for us. Even as much as a good, hearty service like Joseph performed endeared those who were his masters into lifting him up, right? Would not also, therefore, uh, a, a good character Christian who is your boss or your master endear your employees to you likewise? Amen? I mean, it's just a, an aroma of Christ that's so pleasing. It's so sweet, isn't it? Amen? Amen? And and that ought to be the aroma that we carry around with us in our Christian life. How do we do that? By living our life out practically like God has so clearly explained to us. Amen? God help us to carry it out. So I want to tell you... Um, I've got to recommend these books to you before we leave. I didn't realize it was so late. This is William Gurnall, okay? He's a Puritan author. 
and he's written these books called The Christian in Complete Armor. <coughs> this is an absolutely fabulous read, and it's a, it's a treatise on the passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. And I was talking about uh, the armor of God and what all it means and so on and so forth. This is a must-read, I would say, for every Christian. If you've, if you've ever seen these, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, the, the guys who recommend this writing on the front page are the big guns, like Spurgeon. He's in there. J.C. Ryle, he's on the front page saying, you got to read this, Christian. Okay? This is good stuff. Christian in complete armor. Christian in complete armor, William Grinnell. So I just want to tell you that the coming couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. What is it? What does the Bible say about it? Give us an understanding of what the Scripture really says about these things. And uh, we're going to be doing a discourse on Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. So you don't want to miss that. Shall we pray? God, our Father, we are so grateful for your love to us. We're grateful, God, for your clear, concise instruction. God, we pray for strength that we might live out these commandments and that we might glorify you with all that we say and all that we do, Lord. Father, we want to please you, and so we ask for your help, God. Impress these things upon our hearts, fix them in our minds, God, and strengthen us to carry them out with our hands. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.